You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Oh, it's a good day. It's a good day to have a good day, as we like to say, but also a good day to jump into our conversation here on Family Rules, the podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Brooke Walker. And if you can feel a little extra energy in my voice, it's because I'm feeling it too. You know, I have been working in media for almost 15 years. I mean, of course, I started when I was 10 years old. So do the math. It's fine. It's fine. But over my many years spent in television and radio, you kind of develop a side bucket list if you will, of people that you hope to interview one day. Cross your fingers, you might get the chance to interview one day. And, you know, my list has gotten shorter over the years as as I've been able to check off some of those names. Well, today we'll put not just a check, but a big star on that list of bucket list interviews because I was so honored, so privileged to get to have the chance to talk to Gretchen Rubin recently for this show and for this podcast. You probably know the name. In fact, I'm willing to bet one of her books is probably sitting on your bookshelf right now. She carved out a space researching happiness. And I think that is what first drew us to her work because happiness, something we all want to feel, something we all want to experience in our family life and beyond. When it actually became a field of study, like someone was researching this and crafting out the secrets or the tips or the tricks that will ultimately lead us to a more happy life, we were here for it. We were all ears. And Gretchen Rubin is that person. She is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and also, I guess, under the umbrella of, of human nature in general. She's known really for her ability to distill and convey complex ideas, but she does it with kind of a levity, a humor, and clarity that's so accessible to the wider audience. I mentioned she's authored many, many books. Her book, The Happiness Project, in fact, one of my favorites, it spent two years on the bestseller list. So that longevity certainly speaks for itself. She's walked arm in arm with, oh, the Dalai Lama. She's been interviewed by Oprah countless times. She's even been an answer on the game show Jeopardy. I think that's when you know that you've made it. And today we will add her proudly to a list of guests on this show, Family Rules. A few personal anecdotes. She was raised in Kansas City. She now lives in New York City, which is where she was at the time of our remote interview. She lives there with her husband and two daughters. Now you're going to hear Gretchen kind of break down the science of happiness in four different very personal ways. In fact, we asked her to speak to the four tendencies of personality. This stems from her own personal research. She believes every individual fits into one of these four categories, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Gretchen believes once you understand what box you fit in, so to speak, it will not only help you understand yourself better, but it will help you pursue happiness, and also forge stronger relationships. Because if I know, for example, I'm an upholder, which I think I am, and I know I'm married to an obliger, that will help me navigate that relationship with new eyes and with a more focused effort. I really pinned Gretchen down on how these four personality profiles affect the family. Obviously, that's our focus here in this conversation, but I think you'll find her insight to be really helpful 
as parents, when we try to navigate the individual personalities that are all in this one team, in this one family team, living under this one family roof. And I appreciated that she gave us some on-the-ground scenarios, too, to help us put these personality types into real-life action. So grab a snack, sit back, and enjoy this conversation with the queen of happiness, Gretchen Rubin, as we break down the four tendencies, the four personality profiles, and how they can ultimately strengthen and improve our family relationships. My next guest makes the distinction that a positive outlook is really just a determination to be a happier person. In other words, a positive mindset prompts action. To put your positivity to work, I am so excited to involve the foremost expert in the field. Gretchen Rubin is a student of human behavior. She just keeps adding to the long list of practical ways to be happier. Gretchen is now a five-time New York Times bestselling author, podcaster, and speaker. We are beyond thrilled to have Gretchen joining us from her her home in New York City. Gretchen, we are such fans, and I am a personal admirer of your work and the messaging you put out there. Thank you for adding your voice to Family Rules today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be talking to you. What first led you, Gretchen, to this pursuit of happiness or this study of happiness as a topic? You know, it was a very inconspicuous moment of my day. I was stuck on a city bus in the pouring rain, and I thought, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, well, I want to be happy, but I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or whether I could be happier. And so I thought I should have a happiness project and really kind of study this in a systematic way. So I went out to the library, got a giant stack of books, and the study of happiness turned out to be so fascinating that I wanted to write a book about it. And then basically I've been writing about it ever since. You read the books and then you wrote the book. It's become our go-to manual as we all try to improve our lives and better our outlook. This might be sort of a chicken and the egg question, but in your opinion, what actually comes first? Is it, is it being positive or is it being happy? Well, I think you're exactly right. It's like those are so intermingled. It's hard to say where the circle begins. I will say that one thing is it's easier to control our actions than it is to control our thoughts. And so sometimes if we're struggling to kind of stay positive, it can be really helpful to think about, well, what's a concrete thing I could do to make myself happier? You know, what's an action that I could take? Could I reach out to a friend? Could I, uh, you know, go for a walk outside in the fresh air and the sunshine? Um, could I do a good deed for someone else? Because if we do good, we feel good. That's easier to control our actions than it is our minds and our emotions. Because sometimes thoughts and emotions are, you know, they're, they're slippery. They're, they're hard to command. So in other words, we talk a lot about talking the talk. You're saying walk the walk and the rest might follow? Yes, and it's an interesting psychological phenomenon. We think that we, we act because of the way we feel, but to a very great degree, we feel because of the way we act. So you might think, well, I'm, I'm yelling because I'm angry, but actually it's more like the brain is saying like, wow, with all this yelling, somebody must be feeling angry. I guess it's me. Um, and so by acting the way we wish we felt, if we act energetic, if we act uh, loving, if we act friendly, if we act sociable, um, we can actually kind of uh, spark those emotions in ourselves, kind of to an uncanny degree. It really is fascinating. It's a fascinating study, fascinating research. And here on this show, as you know, we try to empower parents with tools to make their homes happier. That idea of action, that idea of service, taking a step, I think, is a great, a great um, idea for parents to implement. Happiness being this overarching goal, Gretchen, is there a first step as, as parents and, and people try to pursue more happiness in life? What would that first step recommendation look like or be? 
Well, one thing that's really important is to recognize sort of the truth about ourselves and the patterns of our behaviors, and just as important, other people's patterns of behavior and, and their perspective. And one of the things I came up with is a four tendencies framework that divides like, all of humanity into four categories, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And this looks at a very narrow aspect of your nature, how you respond to expectations, but it turns out to be something that can give you tremendous insight about how to get yourself to do the things that you want to do. And then um, also very important, how to kind of try to get other people to do what you think they ought to do too, with a lot less conflict and frustration because um, we all face expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a friend um, and inner expectations, my own desire to get back into meditation, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. And depending on how you respond to outer and inner expectations, that's what makes you an upholder, questioner, obliger, rebel. And that has enormous consequence um, for how we can get ourselves to follow through on all the aims that we have for our happiness. So it's that challenge then to know thyself, right? As we say, know thyself. How do I know who I am, which one I am? Right. So you can, if you want to, some people like to take a quiz. So you can take a free quick quiz, like almost 3 million people have taken this quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. It's short, it's free, and it will tell you and give you a little report. But really, most people don't even need to take the quiz. I'll give you a brief description, and you will know who you are. You will know the characters on Parks and Rec. Like, it's very obvious <laughs> once you know these, these frame, this framework. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They keep the, they meet the work deadline, they do their homework, they keep their New Year's resolution without that much fuss. Other people's expectations are important to them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Hmm. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary or ineffective or unjustified. They won't do it because the teacher says I have to. They won't do it because the doctor says I should. They have to know why? But once something meets their inner standard, once they're convinced it makes sense, they'll do it no problem. Then there are obligers. This is the biggest tendency for both men and women. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. Like I got my first insight into this tendency when a friend said, I don't understand it. When I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she had no problem. But when she was trying to go on her own, it was a challenge. And so for obligers, what they need to meet inner expectations is outer accountability. You want to read more? Join a book club. You want to exercise more? Take a class. Work out with a friend who will be annoyed if you don't show up. Think of your duty to be a role model for your children. Outer accountability. Um, and so the, you might say that the motto of obligers is you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. <laughs> and then the obliger is the biggest one. The smallest one is rebel. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't tell themselves what to do. Like, they don't sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturday because they think, I don't know what I'm going to feel like doing on Saturday. And just the idea that somebody's expecting me to show up is going to annoy me. Um, so, you know, their motto is, you can't make me, and neither can I. <laughs> Stubborn becomes a badge of honor. What are you, Miss Gretchen? Which one are you? I am an upholder. So I readily meet outer and inner expectations, and I'm married to a questioner. Oh. Um, and I have learned that if I want him to, if he asks me to do something, I just do it because, you know, why not? <laughs> if, he, he asks me to do some, if I ask him to do something, I have to explain why I'm asking him to do it. 
And then he's very cooperative. But if I don't explain why I'm asking something, he just won't answer or do it. <laughs> now, that we, now that I know that, we have a lot less conflict. He fits the mold. And I appreciate that personal example you shared because it, it demonstrates how these tendencies might play out in a marriage, in a partnership. How might the tendencies play out in a family dynamic? So take us to the home setting. How can parents use these to improve relationships with their children, for example? Well, I will say that upholders tend to be the easiest ones for parents to manage because they are the ones that will feed the pet without reminders. They're the ones that remember to take their school book, you know, on Wednesday morning. So they tend to be less tr uh, trouble in that way, but they can get rigid. So if you have an upholder child, this might th they might become frantic if they're supposed to read for half an hour every night, but you're at the grandparents' house and so they can only read for 10 minutes. Um, or if they're five minutes late to school and you say, it's okay, the teacher understands they might be very uneasy because for them meeting that rule. So you want to help them understand like the spirit of a ruler so they don't get too rigid. Questioners, you have to give a questioner child reasons um, because a questioner children are often told that they ask too many questions. And often even a 10, five, 10 minute explanation might allow a questioner child to do something faithfully for 10 years. Um, but if a child says to you, I don't understand why I should have to write a book report. The teacher knows that I read the book. This is just a big waste of my time. Instead of saying, well, the teacher says you have to or all fifth graders have to do this, you should say something like, well, I know that the teacher knows that you read the book, but writing a book report is, this is teaching you all kinds of skills that will serve you your whole life. How to paraphrase, how to analyze, how to, provi how to provide information succinctly. These are important. You've given a reason, then you're going to get a lot more cooperation. It makes sense. Yeah, right? That's what they would say. Just give me the thing that makes sense. Yes. For an obliger, they need that outer accountability. I remember a friend of mine said that her daughter got a puppy, and she said, oh, I want to teach the puppy new tricks. And the mother said, we're signing you up for 4-H. You and your puppy are going to compete. Because she knew that the accountability of knowing that the, they were going to go to this public forum would help her daughter follow through with this ambition that she had. She wanted to do it, but if there was no accountability, maybe she wouldn't have followed through. And so this is where you really want to show, you know, say to your child, well, you know, your, your, your teacher's going to know if you practice piano or not. They can tell by listening. No matter what you say, they know whether you've practiced. Um, or to give a child positive reinforcement that they have, um, that they followed through with something. But to an obliger saying something like, well, when you get around to it, do X, Y, Z, is often unrealistic because it's sort, it's sort of too unbounded. So you want to have obliger, help obligers get the outer accountability they need for anything that they want to follow through um, on their own. And what if, um, what if I'm raising a rebel, Gretchen? Is that the trickiest parenting task on the table? You got it. Absolutely. Because rebel is the most different from the other three, um, and it can cause a lot of frustration. So this is the thing to remember with rebels. Rebels can do anything they choose to do and anything that puts their kind of identity into the world. So you re might remind a child of their identity. Well, you're a musician. You're an athlete. You love animals. You do this not because I'm telling you to or that your, your teacher tells you to, but because this is who you are. Also with rebels, you can give them information consequences choice. And so you can say, look, you love to go outside and play with your friends. If you, you, know, if you get a bad sunburn, your skin can blister and even peel. It really hurts. And then you're stuck inside all day while all your friends are playing. Do you feel like wearing sunscreen lotion or a long sleeve t-shirt and a baseball cap? Hmm. information consequences choice not badgering and reminding because you will ignite the spirit of resistance with rebels when you try to tell them what to do so you have to let them realize this is what they want to do for their own reasons 
It's a fascinating study, and I think in pursuit of better parenting, stronger family connections, you can see how knowing those tendencies, both of yourself and your family members, would pay off. In conclusion, Gretchen, can you give us a, a happiness principle, something we could do today within our home, within our family dynamic, our family structure, to be happier? You know, ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that relationships are the key to happiness. And so a, a, a little habit that I love is to always give warm greetings and farewells. Sometimes it's easy um, just to kind of shout out uh, uh, when somebody walks in or walks out of the house, <laughs> but to really take a moment to acknowledge that someone's coming or going, give them a hug or a kiss. It's easy to fall into the habit, you know, someone comes in the door and you just sort of grunt out, um, you know, from something from across the room. But it just gives an, the atmosphere of your home so much more warmth, so much more tenderness and attentiveness if you really acknowledge every time someone comes and goes with a real hello, maybe a hug or a kiss, how's your day? Um, it really gives you that sense of connection. And it's very easy um, to do. It doesn't take much time or energy. And it really does make the atmosphere of our home so much more loving. What a great tangible and easy takeaway. Avoid the caveman greeting if you can, and make that meaningful walk through the doorway a, a sincere hello. Gretchen, this was a true pleasure. We could talk all the day long. Thank you for giving us just a minute of your time and, and a portion of your expertise. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I was so happy to talk to you. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. Today's very special guest, Gretchen Rubin, New York Times bestselling author, multiple times over. We hope you enjoyed this conversation, applying those four basic human personality profiles to your everyday family life. We'd invite you to subscribe to this podcast for more conversations just like this. Thanks for listening. We hope you can jump in next time. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.